Have you ever turned on your computer and gone to a particular website and you get this message? Are you having trouble viewing this? Now, sometimes that message is there and you're not having any trouble. But just in case you are, they have that pasted somewhere. And then they give you some pretty simple directions to clarify the issue. Click here. (laughs) And when you do, one of two things probably happens. One, they might refresh the page, give it another shot to get a better connection. Or it might just send you to another page altogether. So it seems like a pretty simple solution if you're having trouble viewing that page. You're having trouble viewing this? Forgiving? Maybe somebody has hurt you, done something against you, and it really is sore, and you just have a hard time coming to terms with it, trying to get back with that person. You have a hard time forgiving. And in a sense, it's kind of like that computer web page that maybe you just need to be refreshed about forgiveness. Or maybe you need to be sent to a whole new page and get a different perspective on how to handle this. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just click here and we'd be redirected? Well, guess what? If you have trouble forgiving, just click here. And you'll be refreshed or redirected to get a new perspective on things. So, let's follow directions. Let's click here. Click. Bet you weren't expecting to see that, though, huh? The refiner's fire. The refiner taking that metal and and melting it down so it's liquid. You know why they do that, of course, right? To burn off all the impurities. To make that metal whole again and have it reformed. The scriptures tell us that God is like a refiner and that he works to shape our lives, putting us through some things to burn off some of those impurities. Last week, we started looking at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. We saw how that God was shaping him through some trials. Today, we want to continue looking at the details of his life and and see how God put him and his brothers through a period of testing, testing of their heart to purify them, to bring about a character that would show forgiveness to others. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you know those Bible stories always turn out so well, you know? Because, like, God is talking directly to them, and God is intervening directly with them, and And some of them are just really outstanding people. It just isn't that way in my life. And I'm not sure that that's real life. But this year, we're looking at real people in the Bible and emphasizing they're real people like you and me with real lives just like our lives. And we share that same real God. So let's go to the next part of Joseph's life and see how that real God is working in him and his brothers to refine their heart to make them forgiving. Let's go back and take a look at the details of Joseph's life, reviewing a few points that we looked at last week and 
and then continuing on with that message. And, and all through that, we want to see God's love story. Now, you recall that uh, Joseph, as a young man, he was uh, one of 12 brothers, and he was the favorite brother. Jacob, his father, loved him more than any of the others, and that was quite evident in how he treated him, giving him a coat of many colors, even giving him some responsibilities, it seems, to supervise over his brothers or at least report back to dad what they were doing and work out in the field. He even had some crazy dreams where he was telling his brothers that one day they would bow down to him as a ruler. Well, you don't talk that way to big brothers. And so that got on their nerves, and you know what happened. They got very upset with him and hated him and wouldn't talk kindly to him anymore. And finally, one day, it just boiled over, and they grabbed him and threw him in a pit, and they were ready to kill him. Instead, they sold him to some slave traders. And off he went, sold down in Egypt, far from his family. Now, he was a servant then in the house of the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And it seemed to be a pretty good position. He was kind of the head over everything. But the wife of that captain had her eyes for Joseph, right? Remember that? And she wanted him to go to bed with her and kept after him on that. But he refused to do that because that would be sinning against his God. Well, she became so frustrated with him that she then brought an accusation of sexual misconduct against him. And Joseph ends up in prison, falsely accused, and is there for many years. But the main point we brought out from last week was, despite all of those troubles that Joseph experienced, the scriptures reminded us that the Lord was always with him, and he prospered. That would be true for the several years that he spent in prison as well. Joseph had two cellmates with him. One was the baker and the other the cupbearer for Pharaoh. And they had some strange dreams and were trying to figure out what all of that meant. And Joseph told them that the interpretation of dreams was given to him by God. And he interpreted the dreams for those two guys and they turned out to be correct. The, the baker was executed for his crime and the cupbearer was restored to service in Pharaoh's house. Joseph thought that was a way to get out of prison. And so he told him, now remember me when you get out and get me out of here. But the cupbearer forgot about Joseph, and he spent two more years in prison until one day Pharaoh had some strange dreams. And he was trying to figure out the message behind those dreams and asked all of his advisors, but he wouldn't tell them the dream. He wanted them to give him the details so that he knew then the interpretation would be correct. But nobody could do it. The cupbearer then remembered Joseph. There was this guy in prison with me who could interpret dreams. So Joseph, the prisoner, is brought out before Pharaoh. And Joseph tells Pharaoh the right details of his dreams. In one dream, there were seven fat cows on the shore of the Nile, and out of the Nile River came seven skinny cows that devoured the seven fat cows. In his second dream, he saw a, a stalk of grain that had seven full heads on it and seven depleted heads, and those skinny depleted heads consumed the seven full ones. Joseph said that meant 
that there would be seven years of plenty harvest, followed by seven years of famine, and that God had given him this message, and that the wise thing to do would be to store up things during those seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh was very impressed with this because God had blessed him with that interpretation. And so Pharaoh then elevated Joseph, giving him a position in the government to rule over the land and over the distribution of all of that grain. And people from all over that part of the world came to Egypt during this famine, and Joseph was there to oversee the giving out of this aid. Well, that famine affected even Joseph's family back in Canaan. That's how widespread the famine was. And so Jacob said to his ten sons to go down to Egypt and to get some grain. But he would not allow the eleventh son, the youngest one, Benjamin, to go down because he didn't want to lose him like he had lost his dear Joseph. The brothers go down to Egypt, and lo and behold, they get in front of Joseph. But, of course, they don't recognize that this is Joseph. This is like 30 years later. And Joseph now talks like an Egyptian, wears clothes like an Egyptian, is walking, talking, acting like an Egyptian. (laughs) So they just think you're talking to an Egyptian. But Joseph recognized them. And now through a process of conversations and interactions with them that extended over weeks and even over months, Joseph put them through a testing process to test their hearts for honesty, a confession, and to see if there was now compassion in their lives. So here are the details. When they stood before Joseph, and Joseph knew who they were, he was going to test them by accusing them that they were really spies who had come to spy out the land, not to come and get grain. Oh, no, they defended themselves. We were a family of 12 brothers. Our youngest is still back home, and the other one is no longer alive. We've simply come here to get grain. But Joseph, now sensing they're going to be honest, wanted to see how far their honesty would go. And so he said to them, Then send one of your number to get your brother, little Benjamin, still at home. The rest of you are going to be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you're telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. He takes all ten of them, throws them in prison for three days so they can think about it. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men... Let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. Now when they hear this, they realize they're really in a jam. Thinking Joseph cannot understand them speaking Hebrew, they talk right in front of him, and here's what they said. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother, meaning Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. And Reuben, the oldest, replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood 
So they accepted Joseph's plan. Simeon, their brother, would remain there. The rest of them went with their sacks full of grain back to Canaan. But Joseph took the money that they had given for that grain and hid it in their sacks. And when they get home and open their sacks of grain, they find all their money there and are thinking, oh boy, now we are really in trouble. And how can we go back there? We're going to have to defend ourselves to get our brother out, and we need Benjamin to come with us. And Dad Jacob said, no way. I am not losing this son. Hunger has a way of changing your thoughts, though, doesn't it? (laughs) And six months go by, and they're without grain again. And they must return to Egypt to get more grain. The brothers knew the only way that they would be accepted would be to bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, with them. They pleaded with Jacob to let him go, and he would not. Finally, two of them pledged their own lives as security that their little brother would make it back alive. So Father Jacob lets them go. All 11 brothers now go down and appear before Joseph. Joseph is moved to see his little brother, and he decides to throw a feast for them, a feast for us. And he takes Benjamin and sets him apart and gives him, the youngest one, five times as much food and honor as he did the rest of them. You see, he was testing to see what are these guys going to do. Are they going to be honest? Are they going to own up to what they have done? Are they going to show compassion? And everything was good. And so they got their sacks of grain again with some more money hidden inside. And Joseph had another plan to test for their honesty and confession and compassion. He had his own personalized cup taken and hidden in the sack of Benjamin. As soon as they left, the steward of the palace went out after them and accused them of taking Joseph's cup. They said, no, that didn't happen. He went through all the sacks, and he found the cup in Benjamin's sack. And then the brothers said, our guilt has been uncovered by God. They went back to plead their case. And Joseph said, You can all return back to Canaan, but the one who is guilty of taking my cup, Benjamin, will stay here in prison. Judah, brother Judah, then stood up and said, No, I will not let this happen to my father again, that he would experience this grief and die. Take my life instead and let my brother go. Joseph had seen how they passed the test of honesty and now showing compassion. And he broke down in tears and revealed himself to his brothers. And there was such joy and celebrating going on in that room that the whole palace heard about it, even Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh had heard the story, he extended an invitation to Jacob and all of his family to move down to Egypt. And so the brothers go back, tell Jacob their father all that had happened. His heart is just full of joy, knowing that all of his sons are alive and well. And so the whole clan moves down to Egypt to be preserved by God during that famine. But after a few years, Father Jacob dies, and there's still some guilt weighing on the brothers' hearts. And they're wondering, what Joseph might do to them now that Daddy isn't here to protect them. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. The brothers passed the test. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. God was testing their hearts. Through the refiner's fire, he was bringing out that quality of forgiveness to others. Have you ever seen this statement? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. We like that one, don't we? Because, boy, that message speaks to me. That's me. I'm not perfect, but I know I'm forgiven. And that, and that brings comfort to us because we see our faults, but we sure like to let other people know that too, right? I've seen that as a bumper sticker, you know. Hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. So it's kind of like we're telling people, don't expect perfection from me and, and back off. Don't get on my case, but be forgiving. You know, God forgives me. So we like that. We like to know that God is fine with us, that God has forgiven us. But do we realize that that statement also applies to others as well? You see, it's not just Christians that are not perfect. Nobody is perfect. And yet all are forgiven by God in Christ. We like that statement for ourselves. Will we also want others to know it as well? As we reflect back on the life of Joseph, we can see how God was working all these particular events together, even the sins of others, to produce a character in him and in his brothers. Can you look at your life and see how God is orchestrating things so that he too is producing in you a heart that's ready to forgive? So, let's reflect back on some lessons that we see in Joseph's life. First of all, this lesson about repentance. Now, some people might say, you know, if Joseph was truly a forgiving guy, he should have forgiven right away. And as soon as he recognized his brothers, he should have told them who he was and not put them through this process. But sometimes in order for repentance to be sincere and for our confession to be humble, there needs to be some time and some working. And Joseph was patiently and with precision working to bring those deep thoughts and convictions up to the surface of his brother's heart. And here's how it happened. 
first to get them to consider their actions. By treating them in ways that would remind them of how they treated him, Joseph was getting them to reflect back on what they had done to him 30 years earlier. But do you see how God was really orchestrating all of that? That this famine was not just local to Egypt or local to Canaan, but that was the whole area? And then after 30 years, these beggars would come and stand before the man who's second in charge in Egypt? Only God could have been working those details out, and he was doing so so that they would consider their sins, to bring them to that point of honesty and confession. And as they did consider their sins, they were convicted. God was leading them to see their sin. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, the book of Romans, that we should consider the kindness and the sternness of God. We always love to jump to that kindness of God because we love his grace, we need his grace. But he also says, consider also the sternness of God, that God is just and that he hates sin and said he will punish sin. That's why Brother Reuben exclaimed, we are being punished for our sins by God. Now, sometimes God may use particular events in our lives to remind us of particular sins. But he doesn't have to do that. That is, he won't use every misfortune we experience as a way of telling us, see, you did something wrong, now you better think about it. But God does want us to reflect back on our sins and to recognize our guilt, not so that we're weighed down with guilt and have a miserable life. He's not trying to rub our nose in it but what he's trying to do is to bring us to this point of an honest confession. The word confession is interesting in the Greek language. It means, literally, to say the same thing. That's what confession is. God wants us to say the same thing about our sins that he says. It was wrong, it was against his laws, and we don't deserve to be treated kindly for it. In fact, we deserve to be punished. Now, if you think of a, a plant in a garden, a little plant, you know, it's, it's easy to, to bend it and to, to shape it. But a, a plant that's more mature, uh, maybe like a tree or something, it's, it's harder to shape it because it's pretty stubborn and rugged. And so it was that through this process, Joseph had to work and God had to work on the hearts of these brothers who lived for 30 years in the, in the stubbornness of their heart so that they would finally recognize and confess what they had done wrong. And it simply came out in conversation. That's what God wants us to do with our sins, to simply say to somebody else, I'm sorry, forgive me. We don't have to dig up all the dirty details and review it all, but just to admit our wrong and ask for forgiveness. That's the lesson about repentance but sometimes there are things in our life that keep us from knowing that we can be forgiven and are forgiven. You know, if you've ever uh, done any painting on a wall and maybe there's a little mold or something growing there, you know, you think, well, I'll just cover it over with some paint. Well, that mold will just keep growing and come through. <laughs> no matter how much you try to hide it, you've got to remove the mold. 
And sometimes we try to do that with sin in our life too. We just try to hide it, cover it over in some way. Uh, Maybe just ignore it, put it out of our mind. Maybe think, well, you know, over time it'll just pass over. And sometimes we just try to do things, just forget about it. People we've hurt, people we've gossiped about, the people we've ignored and their needs, just, just forget about it. Or sometimes there's something else we try to do to, to deal with sin, and that is, I'll just try to do better. I'll try to show people that I'm, that I'm sorry, that I'm doing better now. And that'll take care of it all. But like that mold on the wall, we can't just cover over our sins. It's still there. That's part of us. That's our nature. We can't do anything to get rid of it on our own. But there is a cure. There is a perfect and permanent removal of that sin. So let's talk about forgiveness. That perfect and perfect removal comes from God. His offer to us and the offering that was made to provide it. The Apostle John tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And why is that? How can that be? Not because of anything I can do, but because of that offering he made in his son. It's the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sin. God sent his son into this world to take upon himself the guilt of our sins so that we would not be punished for them. They have been removed from us. Our record is clean. We have been purified because Jesus' blood has paid that price. He never sinned, but he paid for our sins. He was perfect in everything he did. And now God gives us that perfection through our faith in him. We have forgiveness. Forgiveness in Christ that's full, every sin removed, and free. There's no condition. There's nothing we have to do. But with that offer and that beautiful offering, there comes an obligation on our part. God calls for us to forgive others as well. God wants us to forgive others just like he has forgiven us fully, freely, in Christ. But sometimes that's hard for us. There are some things that hinder us, that keep us from forgiving others. You get hurt by somebody and maybe you hold a grudge. Maybe you're not ready to to just forgive and forget. Or maybe you'll say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. And sometimes when you've been hurt like that, that hurt just sits there and simmers and simmers, and then it becomes hate. You don't even want to associate with the person then. In fact, what you'd rather do is get them to suffer a little bit. You want to see that they too can be hurt even if it's just that they sit in the misery of their guilt every time they see you. And that just builds anger and resentment and bitterness. And then there's no room for forgiveness. 
Oh, but we, come, we, we become kind of clever with another way of trying to deal with it. We try to excuse it. That's how I'll forgive them. I'll just convince myself, you know what, we're all weak. I would have done the same thing if I were in their situation. Just let it go. That's not forgiveness. That's just excusing it. That's just pushing it to the side. Forgiveness is only what God can do in Christ. And to let that person there know that they are forgiven, here's what we need to do. We need to simply remember how God has forgiven us. Fully, freely. And then to reflect that same spirit of forgiveness with a heart that's filled with love and gratitude, with a mind that knows what God's will is for us, shaping our attitudes and our actions then toward that other person. Last week we looked at uh, this passage that the Apostle Paul wrote and said, here's what God is shaping in our lives through the trials we go through. Well, now here's what he's refining in us as he's testing our heart. As God's chosen people, Paul says, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's what God is trying to do as he refines our hearts and puts us through that process of testing. He simply wants us to have hearts that will reflect his love to others, a heart that forgives. May God's Spirit work that heart in us. Amen.